Hello and welcome to School of Batman. We ask scientists and researchers to use their expertise to help Batman in his quest against crime. I'm your host, Chris Blumson, amateur scientist and professional Batman enthusiast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing Mother's Child Army. There was no warning. There was no demands. Only the announcement. The mysterious mother, long thought an urban myth, announces to the major cities of the world that their children are no longer their own. A latent chemical time bomb begins to activate across the youth population as the streets turn violent. How can Batman quickly counter this hitherto unknown threat? This week, we're joined by Stefan Googler. Stefan is a PhD student in the Department of Chemistry and Applied Biosciences at ETH Zurich, specializing in machine learning for quantum chemistry. So hi, Stefan, how are you? And thank you for joining us. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. Great stuff. Okay, so we, we, we've got a big threat to overcome, but I think before we start to dig into the threat, um, I think we need to understand a little bit more about kind of what you do, um, how you got to where you are today, um, what on earth machine learning for quantum chemistry actually means. Uh, so yeah, let's let's start with that one at the end. How would you describe your current work that you do now? So in a nutshell, you can do chemistry in the lab where you mix together things and you can do chemistry in a very theoretical way. Where you just think about it, you do calculations and computational things. Computation about chemistry takes a lot of time because you need to simulate every tiniest molecule. And machine learning is an emergent technology or method which can be used to kind of accelerate the whole process or as we hope to, to, a, to a time that, that is much more feasible than having hours and days and weeks of calculation time. Okay, so... It's a really interesting split that you talked about there. So I think that first idea, that idea of being in a lab and combining various things and making new substances, that's something our listeners will probably be very familiar with and is is the kind of stereotypical view of what chemistry is. Um, but I'm really interested to hear more about what computational chemistry means, kind of where that come from, that came from and where that need came from and what can you do new or different, faster, better in computational chemistry that you couldn't do in the more traditional way. Right. So maybe one, one traditional field that computational chemistry um, is a huge success story is drug development. So for a new drug, which is one single molecule usually, um, you have dozens of chemists doing hundreds and thousands of experiments until they found the right lead compound, the compound that will become a drug in the end. Um, and you need biologists and physicists and chemists and they all work on the same molecule but it takes a lot of time to figure out which molecule will be the one that could be developed into a drug so people have thought maybe we can simulate the molecule or aggregate some properties of the molecule and then just list them basically on a piece of paper but on the computer right and then compare the properties and so we see oh the molecules that have property a seem to be very good against this and this disease in a mouse but molecules of property c they don't 
So we just split the list and every everything with property C we throw away and we just keep the ones with property A. If you only have two properties, this is kind of easy, right? But imagine now you have hundreds or thousands of properties. You will need a computer to find all these hidden patterns because a human cannot possibly process thousands of properties of millions of molecules. So this field must be relatively new then, obviously. Um, what, what kind of age or era did you, would you say this kind of rose to prominence as being a practical working thing for chemists? We can, we can look at it from, from two perspectives. So in, in the computer science department, they came up with neural networks um, and machine learning in, about in half of the last century. And then something that they call the neural winter happened, um, where neural networks and machine learning came to a stop because everybody thought it's not feasible to do so many calculations. Um, and now, maybe as recently as 2012 or so, these methods come back because people have a found methods to accelerate the code but also have much better computers it's similar in chemistry so but in half of the last century chemists came up with methods to simulate molecules but they took a lot of time and were very very inaccurate but nevertheless people people kept digging and they found new stuff and new code and new computer new hardware made it possible to where we are now. I think in chemistry, it's much more of a linear development. There wasn't computational chemistry winter or something, as far as I know. It's, it's a lot of um, on the shoulders of giants, as the, as the saying goes. So there is this chemist called John Popel. He was a British theoretical chemist. And he won the, I, I see it here on Wikipedia, he won the Nobel Prize in um, 1998, but he was active much earlier, so he, he developed basic principles for um, computational quantum chemistry. I think he was even a mathematician, so there was a lot of theory in it, and he, he brought out very a very important program, I think 1970 or so. So the whole field, maybe not in the, in the, in the middle of the last century, but maybe three quarters in of the last century, computational quantum chemical methods really started with, with John Popel. I'm going to ask a very basic question before we move on to some of those more advanced ideas. What is a molecule? Well, maybe the even more basic question would be what is an element, right? Um, from chemistry, we all know the periodic table of, of the elements, which, which hangs on every school um, wall, right? So a molecule is basically an assembly of a couple of elements. And when we're talking about drugs, it's mostly carbon and hydrogen. And when we talk about metals, um, it's metals. Metals are also elements like iron or um, silver or something like that. And if we talk about the molecule, maybe H2O, which is water, it means H2 means two hydrogens and O means oxygen. So the molecule is just an assembly of these three atoms. And so you, what, what's quantum chemistry? Because quantum is a word that gets bandied about quite a lot. Um, so I think it would be I think it would be really nice to quantify, if you'll excuse the wordplay, uh, ex exactly what what the difference between quantum chemistry and chemistry means. Or is there is there is there no difference? Like is is it is chemistry the umbrella and quantum is is a is a subset of it? I mean, it depends. It depends how we look at the world. It seems the world is quantum, so basically everything is quantum. 
quantum food, quantum physics, quantum chemistry. Everything is quantum because at the basic level the world seems to work in quantum terms, which doesn't mean that there are other concise or nice descriptions about the world, like for example the Newtonian picture. So one, one tenet that people sometimes know about quantum chemistry is that everything is a wave and a particle at the same time. So if you have a, an electron Classically, you would think about an electron of a very small ball or something like that, which is hard and can um, push against things. And in quantum mechanical picture, we would think of it usually as a wave, which is a bit abstract, but it's just kind of all over the place at the same time. Why is this useful? Well, it seems to be the more accurate description of reality because when we do simulations with a lot of electrons or atoms or molecules, when people use only Newtonian methods, it gets less accurate results when we compare them with experiments. Um, so people, people, for example, do molecular dynamics, which is also computational chemistry, where they just take molecules and they model them as balls, and they are connected by sticks, and then they throw it into water, and then they w wiggle around. Um, like they turn up the temperature and the molecules start to wiggle. This is um, representations we've all seen in textbooks maybe. And for very large molecules, this is still one of the better methods. But if, you, if, you're, if your systems get smaller, it seems, it seems that quantum chemical methods where we describe the molecule not as balls and sticks, but as waves interacting with each other, we get much more accurate methods. So let's bring this back now to our uh, hero and how some of this incredible technology and work can help. So just to have a brief reminder, um, the children of the world somehow in these major cities have imbibed some kind of chemical, could be in the food, could be in the water, some kind of dispersal technique anyway, uh, that's turned them into brainwashed uh, um, acolytes of the mysterious mother. So Batman he needs to be able to counter this this threat and this is a this is a new chemical um so he can see the effects that the chemical has uh and so he knows kind of what he's trying to counter um but there's obviously not going to be something that he can pull off the shelf to immediately be able to counter this threat so he's coming to you in 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 the dead of night how do you begin to start to tackle a problem like that? Is that similar to a problem that you may be asked to tackle in maybe more quotidian ways? Um, talk us through some of the process. Yeah, I mean, this happens quite often. So yesterday, Iron Man was in my lab and asked something similar. <laughs> um, so in, in the... I, I, I like that you did it as, a, as an elemental hero as yeah. well. I like that you chose <laughs> Iron that. Man, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in a way, theoreticians are maybe usually the first, but also the last in a crime scene. So there is obviously a lot of experimental work going on, especially if it's something that important. Um, but I think something that might be very useful for Batman here is what you mentioned in the very beginning, that this seems to be a latent time bomb. So in my view, maybe the hope is that we could um, inactivate the substance before okay, yeah. Interesting. the children become permanently damaged. So that's where my machine learning methods come into play. So um, whereas it, it seems like we need very accurate data about some molecule that 
maybe some organic chemist, an experimental chemist extracted from one of these children, and maybe Batman needs to visit one of those first. But as soon as we have some very basic data about the molecule, instead of feeding it into quantum chemical methods from the 70s, which will take maybe weeks to complete an accurate picture, um, we could use like some shortcut methods like a neural network to find out properties um, about the molecule in question and whether maybe it's similar to something we know, which would open up a whole array of interventions as soon as we know in which cluster of molecules this operates. I mean, I mean, if the villain just created something very, very new that has never been seen before, maybe we will run into problems. But I mean, there are off-the-shelf poisons and off-the-shelf mind-controlling substances. So if it's something like that, we will certainly be able to cluster it together with something we already know with my machine learning methods. Okay, so let's just do another few more definitions um, because there's quite a lot of of complex terminology here. Uh, So um, machine learning and neural networks, um, briefly, because would you say machine learning is kind of the umbrella of that term there? So that neural network is a part of machine learning? I think I would say that, yeah. Google might say it the other way around, that machine learning is part of deep learning, but... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but to to summarize, just so we can understand some of the processes that you might be going through, um, does it mean what it sounds like? Is it, and and how can machines learn? Yeah, so what humans do when they see something new but familiar, they can... If you see a new bird that you have never seen before, you still know it's a bird because you have seen a lot of birds before. You learned the concept of a bird, but even though if this bird might be very new or you've never seen it before, you still can identify it as a bird. But machines, as as we know it, classical machines, they can't do that if they don't don't have a very, very specific picture of a bird um, which fulfills this and this and this property. It's red or blue or has a beak or has wings or something it will not be able to identify it as a bird. Um, And what happened maybe 10 years ago or eight years ago is that people started to implement neural networks, which is a a method of machine learning that was able to learn, maybe in air quotes, maybe not, certain features of pictures, for example, birds, that made it possible to distinguish between birds and cats and dogs, even though the pictures that were fed into the neural network were new and the neural network hasn't seen them before. So it's all about identifying something that you have not seen before. Is the fact that it's called a neural network, is that because it's akin to how kind of a a biological uh, nervous system is constructed? Precisely, yeah. Um, The inspiration of a neural network is, is the brain or a neural system in general. I mean, insects have neural systems as well. And what happens in an insect brain when it sees light or it sees darkness and it goes towards the light and goes away from darkness or something, there is neurons being activated and then they see, oh, this is light and this is food. I have to go there, light and non-food, maybe not, food and non-light, maybe yes. But these interactions 
in the end of the neural network in the insect's brain, it will tell the insect whether it should go there or not. And we can abstract that on the computer. So instead of actual neurons, we have a program that acts as if it's a neuron. And then we can throw it onto a huge computer and basically, I mean, simulate an insect brain is maybe a bit grandiose of a term, but it goes into that direction. If the brain works as we assume it might work, um, the neural network is something along that lines. So let's say we, we, we go back to the children, we find the poison, we identify broadly most of it. There might be some elements of it that we haven't seen before. Um, how do you go about tackling uh, some of those elements that you haven't seen before? So it's all a question of um, probability. Maybe if, we, if I can bring back the picture of the bird, um, the analogy would be maybe now we know it's three quarters of a bird and 25% of a dog with certain probabilities. So it's these 25% that makes the dog is maybe 75% sure or something. So we're not quite sure it's a dog, but it might be a dog. Maybe we, we know it has a beak. I mean, it's very figuratively now, but how we would go about this now that we know these things and it's maybe dangerous. Maybe we need to bring some tool for the beak. Maybe we need to bring a net because it can fly, something like that. Properties about molecules gives us tools to counteract them because we know it's toxic in this and this way. It might be explosive in this and this way because we know it with a certain probability and we know it we know that it's to some degree similar as something we have seen before and people have worked out antidotes or um, neutralizers or th something like that. That's it for today. Thanks to Stefan and his team's uh, innovative work. Um, we can rapidly iterate, try and find exactly what the poison is and through computational chemistry and rapid iteration and conversation with other teams get batman the help and the antidote he needs so thank you very much to stefan for joining us thanks for having me chris and you can find out more about stefan's research on twitter the link of which will be in the description if you'd like to be a future guest on the podcast please email us at info at figshare.com and you can find us on twitter at school of batman